This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to part two of tonight's interview and all of our material going back to 2008, don't miss out and subscribe. It's very simple. All you have to do is click on the subscribe button of our website at veritasradio.com and you'll receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? Take a look at all the shows we've done so far and all the upcoming guests. You have no idea what these shows can do for you and your loved ones. You will never hear what they have to say in the mainstream media. I guarantee it. Remember, your greatest wealth is your health. Check it out at sanitasradio.com. And for MMS or our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, go to the Veritas store. To get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, suggestions, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower? Click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And tonight we discuss Scientology, behind the glitter, beyond the cult, with our special guest, Tony Ortega, the executive director of The Raw Story at rawstory.com. Tony was formerly the editor of The Village Voice and has written about Scientology since 1995. He's currently working on a book about the church, and while he toils away on it, he continues to monitor breaking developments around the world from an undisclosed location in an underground bunker. Sounds like me and my lair. 
His website is TonyOrtega.org. But before I introduce Tony, let me share some details about this interview. The original guest was supposed to be Jamie DeWolf, the great-grandson of L. Ron Hubbard, founder of the Church of Scientology. Unfortunately, even though he confirmed many times, Jamie DeWolf is nowhere to be found. I hope, I certainly hope, that he's okay. In doing what I do, you have to think quickly, especially after doing a lot of research. I found Tony Ortega as a as a well-versed person when it comes to Scientology and left him a message. Not even five minutes later, he was responding to me. I asked him if he could take Jamie's spot and do the interview, and he has agreed. No warning, no preparation, an impromptu appearance, for which we should all be very, very grateful. And directly from New York City, I would like to introduce Tony Ortega. Hello, Tony, and welcome to Veritas. Hey, thanks for having me on, Mel. I, I, I wonder what happened with uh, Jamie. I know him well, and I, I'll have to find out what happened to him, but I'm glad I could fill in. Absolutely. And let me just start by saying that according to the Pew Research Center, 84% of the world's people identify with a religion. Many of these faiths have stood the test of time and, and are rooted in centuries-old historical tradition. However, one very prominent religion was created just 60 years ago. Yes, I'm referring to Scientology, founded by none other than science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard. But not every member of the Hubbard family is a member of the church. His great-grandson, Jamie DeWolf, is actually one of the most outspoken critics of what he calls a cult. Now, Tony, you interviewed first Jamie about his being so outspoken. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, Jamie, uh, like I said, is L. Ron Hubbard's great-grandson. He was never in Scientology. His grandfather uh, was L. Ron Hubbard Jr., who changed his name to Ron DeWolf and became a very problematic figure for Scientology. He actually spoke out uh, you know, uh, about his father and about the church in ways Scientology didn't like. He kind of came uh, flip-flop back and forth. He was back in the good graces of Hubbard and then back out again. So Jamie grew up knowing about this, knowing about his grandfather, and Jamie was a uh, he was a performance artist. He, he's a person that goes up on stage and recites poems in a real dramatic way. And at some point, people had asked him, "What about you know doing that kind of performance about your own background?" And he originally did some work around the year two thousand that got him a little of attention. He kind of went away for it for a while, and then he came back uh, just a couple years ago with a stunning just mesmerizing performance he put on video. And that's when I became aware of him, where he talked about his grandfather and his grandfather's relationship to his, his father, Ron Hubbard. And it's, it's really easy to find on YouTube. Just search for Jamie DeWolf in Scientology and you'll see it. And he's really a talented person. He, just, he's a, he keeps you spellbound as he tells the story of Scientology and his family and the things that he heard. And he's at kind of a remove because he was never in it himself. But you can tell that he's really thought deeply about some of the conflicts that his grandfather had. And uh, I think he does a terrific job uh, talking about that. Now, you also mentioned other members of the family. Uh, actually, uh, it's kind of the opposite uh, from what you said. It's, it's, it's not that Jamie's the only member of the family that's not in Virtually none of L. Ron Hubbard's descendants are in Scientology. There is only one left, and that is uh, Hubbard's daughter, Diana. 
uh, is still in the church and lives at the church headquarters in California. And that's it. His other children are out. Grandkids, they're all out. And uh, it's, it's really only Diana who's left. And he's one of the most outspoken, of course, critics. And he's the Village Voice, which you probably obviously know. He's listed as number 22 out of 25 people crippling Scientology. Are you in that list, by the way? No, I made that list. Oh, you I, made I, that, the list. Yeah, I was, I, that was when I was editor of the Village Voice. And like I said, I had come across Jamie's uh, video, his, his performance, his spoken word performance, which, like I said, was just so spellbinding. And that summer, August of 2011, I think, I put together uh, what I call the top 25 people crippling the Church of Scientology. And uh, because, there, you know, Scientology has really fallen on hard times, and there's a lot of reasons why. It's, it finds itself in the grip of several different crises, and there are a number of people that are, are responsible for that. And so I went through the list, and I put Jamie at 22, I think, because he was pretty new and not that well-known. And I think he's still it's he's he's gradually becoming a little bit more well known, uh, and he's getting a little bit more television exposure. Recently, Upworthy paid attention to him, and that got him a lot more attention. So I might put it more like about fifteen or sixteen now on the list. Have you been? Have you received any any threats, backlash, or from the Church of Scientology for also being outspoken? Well, I've, I've, like I said, I've been writing uh, about Scientology for more than 18 years. And, and when you're a journalist, and you, it's, it's not just that you write one story about the church, but once you sort of stick around and continue to pay attention, you, you know that there are certain uh, risks with the job. Um, Scientology is very, has very much earned its reputation for being a bully and it spends a lot of money on litigation on lawyers on private investigators and i don't like to talk about it a lot but as somebody who's written about them for a long time i have experienced some of their their techniques and it's just you know it's not fun it's they're they're a very intimidating organization but um you know it's it's important that they be kept an eye on because of the way they treat people and the way they manipulate the law so it's something that I continue to do, even though it's got some risks involved. I have to tell you, Tony, I remember when I was a teenager during my first job back in 85, uh, a year before Elrond died, uh, I think it was a co-worker who gave me the book Dianetics. He said, you'd have to read this book. Uh, I really enjoyed it, let me admit. All of a sudden, I started receiving letters. This is before the Internet or, or email to come to the Dianetics office. I'd never heard the word Scientology back then. Well, I went thinking we were going to be discussing science fiction, which I love. I then s smelled a brilliant form of brainwashing to trap me. I never went back. I wonder how many other people experienced the same, Tony. Well, a lot of people uh, encounter Scientology's come-ons. Um, there are various ways, uh, either you know, encountering the book Dianetics, as you say. They also set up booths where, and they ask you to take a... Uh, what they call a stress test, and there's also the personality test, which is probably their most familiar way of trying the e to meter? attract. Uh, the, the personality test does not involve an e-meter. The stress test does. Uh, the personality test is this 200 questionnaire uh, that uh, it just asks you these basic questions about things like, uh, uh, you know, do you do you worry about what people say behind your back? Do you do you, do you obsessively go through 
uh, magazines. I mean, they're just strange questions that don't seem to have any connection. They, you, they score your answers and then always tell you that you're screwed up and you need their help. I mean, it's just, it's, I've, talked to, I've talked to people that administer those tests and they say that it does not matter how you answer the, the their response will always be the same, that you are in dire need of Scientology counseling. And it's just, it's just a way of roping people in and getting them interested. Uh, and the same thing with the stress test. The stress test is a little demonstration of the e-meter that, um, uh, tries to convince people that it's it's a really marvelous tool. Uh, if you want, I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about the e-meter and how yeah, it actually please. works. The e-meter is is a very crude uh, piece of electronics that's you know it's it's the most unsophisticated uh, little tool you can imagine. All it's doing is measuring skin galvanism, and that means that it's putting a tiny electric current through you uh, with the use of these two uh, sensors that you hold and measuring fluctuations in that current. That can be affected by how hard you grip the uh, sensors, uh, how sweaty your palms are, the, co- the salt content of your sweat. All these things affect that little meter and will make the needle move. And once you've uh, become skilled at it, you can make that needle move all you want just by the way you manipulate the handles. But Scientologists are convinced that that needle is actually measuring something to do with your thoughts. They have this belief that thoughts have mass. And when you have certain kinds of thoughts, the meter is able to reflect that in the needle bouncing back and forth. There's absolutely no scientific evidence that that's true. But you cannot talk the Scientologists out of it. They will, they are convinced that the science, that the e-meter is this a magical device that can read their thoughts, read their minds, and how that becomes really crucial is that they they believe that they cannot hold back a secret. That if they're holding, they call them cans. They're the cans, the sensors to this machine. That if they're holding the cans and they try to hold back a secret from the church, that that needle will betray them, and Again, whether or not it's actually true, you know, it's just, like I said, it's just measuring a little current in your skin because they're convinced that that machine will be able to tell that they're holding back a secret. They cannot hold back those secrets. They are convinced they have to divulge everything. So one of the characteristics of being in Scientology is there are no secrets. They want to know everything about your personal life. They want to know about all of your sexual partners, everything you've done. Recently, in particular, they've had a real kick on masturbation. I've talked to numerous high-level Scientologists who have been called in, put on the meter, asked about their masturbation habits, and if they admit to it, they are charged three thousand dollars. <laughs> really? Now, 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 you you know, I'm sure they have some justification for how this helps you advance in life, but I think most people would just think of it as a shakedown. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's that's what that so that when you first encounter the e-meter and they do a stress test, what they do is they pitch you and then they ask you to hold the, the cans of the meter and then they say, think of that pitch again, and all of a sudden the needle moves. And they say, see, the meter can tell when you're thinking of pain. Mm. And so it's it's just a it's just a it's just a parlor trick. That convinces gullible people that this meter is this magical device that can read their thoughts. When any electrical engineer who takes one apart will tell you that it's the most crude 
simple piece of electronics that measures nothing to do with your thoughts. It seems to be, uh, and I think L. Ron Hubbard designed it, it's a crude lie detector, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, he, again, it, it's, it is one, if, if you, a, light, a polygraph machine, a lie detector machine, does measure skilled galvanism, but it also measures heart rate and respiration. And so the person that's, re- the, you know, the expert who's reading a, a polygraph uh, test will ask a person or a, a question. And it's not that the machine says, ooh, this person's lying. The machine records that when they're talking about something, their pulse goes up, their respiration goes up, the skin galvanism reacts, and the, the expert then says, you know what, I think that means this person was not telling the truth. You, know, you see what I'm saying? It's just it's, it's a secondary device to describe a condition that suggests lying. The machine is not reading your mind. You know what I'm saying? And so the Scientology e-meter is only one-third of that device. It's only, it doesn't measure heart rate. It doesn't measure respiration. All it's doing is measuring a little fluctuation in your skin. How did you come in contact with Scientology? Were you part of Scientology before? No, I was just a reporter at the time. I was in Phoenix, and I stumbled across a great story about a man named Rick Ross, who was a cult programmer who had gotten into a lawsuit and uh, involved a, a lot of different organizations, but one of them happened to be Scientology. And uh, he was unhappy with the way the Daily Newspaper had uh, reported on his on his lawsuit. And um, I heard about it, and I was working for a weekly newspaper, and part of what we did there was try to try to dig into the stories that the Daily wasn't really giving full attention to. And so I met him and found him a really fascinating guy. And wrote my first. It was my first cover story for that newspaper, a lengthy story about Rick Ross, and and a part of it was on Scientology. And I'd, I'd always had kind of a fascination for Scientology. I'd always I'd read about it, thought it was interesting, and so that just started me. After that, I, I, you know, once it's just one of those things when you're a reporter and you find something particularly interesting and juicy, one story will tend to lead you to another. Uh, a few years that was in 1995 in Phoenix. A few years later, I moved back to L.A. where I'm from, and, and of course that put me in one of the headquarters of Scientology Worldwide, and um, I did a bunch, several stories there that were really important to me. Uh, one in particular is still one of my favorite of all time uh, about a woman named Tori Chrisman, who was a longtime member who had come out in a really interesting way, and I got to write the first uh, story about what she went through. So one story led to another. Eventually I ended up in New York uh, editing The Village Voice, and um, that was when the anonymous movement started up early in 2008. And I realized that, boy, they were just really ravenous for anything about Scientology. And so I contacted some of my old um, sources, including Tori in Los Angeles, and started doing stories online at that time. And, boy, it just they just went crazy. You know, I mean, there's a real hunger for Scientology stories, uh, partly because of anonymous, partly because of the celebrities. And uh, it just, you know, it just doesn't seem to go away. People just really find Scientology fascinating. Rick Ross, don't, doesn't Scientology have a 75-page PDF on his entire life? How oh, many yeah. times he was counseled when he was a child and everything else? Yeah, they call that a dead agent pack. Yeah. Um, they assemble those about people. Um, and they were particularly, they, they were particularly interested in Rick Ross, which is kind of interesting because Rick, Rick was a deprogrammer, but he he didn't he rarely ever had anything to do with Scientology, but they but they perceived him as an enemy for whatever reason, and so uh, that was part of my story uh, 18 years ago when I read about wrote about Rick, 
was that they they had dug up every little thing about his childhood, and, and Rick had been had gotten in some trouble as a teenager, and so they had all of that material, and they would just hand out. They called it a DA pack, a dead agent pack. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.